analysis and reaction. Here is NL News Director Shane Woodford on 610 AM. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in. Lovely looking day shaping up here in Camelot. Some clouds out there, but it looks like the sunshine might win through. Uh, we got a lot to talk about on the show today. We're going to uh, hear about the land title office concerns from the civic table. Uh, we're going to hear from Venture Kamloops, get a, get a sense of the state of the economy here in the city. We'll also talk ride-sharing and more with Kamloops North MLA Peter Millibar in a little while. But first up, as we usually do every time this week, on Wednesday we talk to Kamloops Mayor Ken Christian who joins me in studio. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Good morning. Pleasure to be here. Great spring day. Yeah. You're just back from a little adventure on the South Coast. Or, uh, little NC2A March Madness. <laughs> oh, I should have known it was basketball related. Foolish me. <laughs> okay, uh, let's jump into it. Um, uh, yesterday in council, uh, Dale Bass uh, tabled a motion looking to ban plastic bags. You heard a fairly robust presentation on that. Uh, first off, uh, how do you feel about it? And second, jurisdictionally, can a municipality even do it? Yeah, uh, you know, the, the presentation was uh, fabulous. Very uh, well presented, well prepared, and well supported, actually. It was a gal was full and uh, I think uh, they uh, raised the awareness of the issue amongst council and uh, there's a, a notice of motion from councillor Bass uh, that will be discussed next week but you know I think ultimately this is something that will be solved by consumers and, and consumers will dictate what happens with plastic bags and uh, you know the next place to have it addressed is with retail and, and uh, then uh, probably the next place is with a provincial kind of approach to banning kind of things and then probably finally and probably least efficiently is local government but uh, in any case I think it's raised this uh, matter and uh, we'll look to uh, internal resources and, and ideas as to what other municipalities have done. I don't think we want to have the plastic bag police uh, being paid for by your tax dollars <laughs> but uh, you know I, I do think uh, people need to be more responsible, they need to recycle more, they need to use uh, a lot of kind of multi-use kinds of things like uh, coffee cups and uh, reusable bags as opposed to these single-use kind of yeah. approaches. If this should pass council, we don't know if it will yet or not, but would it be largely a symbolic kind of, okay, here we go, to add some impetus to the move, or would there be genuine muscle behind it? Would you be able to influence a save-on foods or, or what have you in the community? Well, that's the part. I, I would like to have a discussion with the retail sector, you know, about what this means. I mean, there are some people that uh, legitimately don't carry reusable bags with them, tourists that come to town, that kind of thing. Uh, some people prefer to put their meat in a plastic bag as opposed to putting it into a cloth bag, that kind of thing. And so, you know, there are certainly uh, some exceptions. And how does industry deal with that? I, I mean, I used to be a pack boy for IGA stores, and we always used paper back <laughs> yeah, then. So yeah. Same uh, with Safeway. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, you, know, you know, is there an option that can be uh, used that would use uh, re recycled paper uh, as opposed to plastic? Yeah. You may be surprised to know I was a bag boy at Safeway, and I got fired for trying to be too sarcastic to customers. So, <laughs> There's uh, a surprise. <laughs> uh, two more pot shops given a uh, rubber stamp at Council. Uh, we're hitting about 20. First off, uh, enough already? Do you think we're going to max out? Do you think people are 
uh, your status in the past has always been the market will determine do you anticipate we're going to see a flood more and we'll just see businesses live and die out there or was council going to put it uh, what, what's your sense about what you know i think we we've got some zones that are saturated now uh you know certainly downtown and and the uh tranquil corridor uh, but i do see some room uh, in brocklehurst i see some room in dallas i see some room up in aberdeen uh, probably in west side so you know if they're going to really follow that kind of craft shop uh, model then those would be places where you see uh, you know small liquor outlets but uh, if uh, you know we're going to go to the big uh, kind of uh, retail approach to cannabis sales then probably they're not all going to survive so uh, I think uh, once edibles come on the market that will really uh, determine the difference as to how people approach their marketing. Uh, do you guys take into factor? I mean, the, so for people who don't know, you, you get a, you get an application, but it also goes to the province. So you greenlight it, yay! But there's also a separate provincial approval process, which is taking a fair amount of time because we have what 17 stores saying yes here in Kamloops, only two physically with open doors as we speak, only a handful across the province. So I guess first, do you guys take into account? Anything other than sort of the basic parameters in council, or do you kind of let the provincial process deal with the criminal backgrounds and all that? And secondly, is the provincial process moving even fast enough for you? No, it's not. And I, I think that they have some supply chain issues, and I think that's probably why they're being uh, fairly tardy in terms of their approval processes. But, you know, our uh, adjudication is in and around the operator and their compliance with business license regulations and our zoning regulations. And if they meet all all those uh, check boxes, then uh, we generally are going to accept them. Uh, there have been a couple of rejections uh, so far, and uh, you know, 17 approvals. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, Land Titles Office, uh, the local MLA is raising some concerns there. We've now had a confirmation they're going to move the records from the Land Titles Office to Victoria. Thus, they don't need the space. It'll be something of a downsizing there. Uh, Land Titles Office says, listen, no jobs lost. Uh, obviously, Michael Riley's motion yesterday contends that there will be some. Um, First off, do you have a sense of concern with, with what's going on in that front? Yeah, always concerned, uh, but uh, I think that, uh, you know, we have to get some more information first. I understand that the land's title, land titles offices are uh, digitizing a lot of the uh, documents and uh, artifacts that they have, and so uh, what that process looks like province-wide and how CAMLPS fits into that is something that we want to understand more about. Uh, it's my understanding, too, that the jobs that are being lost are not uh, government jobs, but rather uh, private uh, contractors that work around the land title system. So people that would do physical title searches and that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, we need to know more about that as well. I'd like to speak to the legal community and, and understand this situation more. I've got a call into uh, our MLA, Peter Millibar, about that. And so we'll find out more information in the coming weeks. Uh, Mr. O'Reilly's motion says, let's press pause. Let's talk to the people involved. Um, first off, do you think that'll pass a vote? And second, are you for or against that personally? You know, uh, I haven't looked at it in any detail, and I'll do some more research between now and next week when it comes up. Uh, but uh, this is probably, uh, you know, the thin edge of the wedge in terms of being vigilant about jobs in Kamloops. And uh, certainly uh, MLA uh, Millibar and, and Stone were, uh, you know, on watch about 
about the BCLC situation. They're on watch about this situation. So we need to see where this takes us. Uh, but at the same time, we need to look at jobs. And, and I think Councillor O'Reilly's heart's in the right place in terms of jobs and employment really spells success for Kamloop. So we have to make sure that, uh, you know, we're getting our fair share of uh, jobs, both public and private. And uh, we need to do what's best to encourage uh, uh, certainly uh, private sector uh, development and expansion and retention here in Kamloops. And by the way, Councillor Michael Riley is going to finish off the show today, uh, so he'll be coming up in just a little bit. Um, there's a group pushing for heritage designations for both Riverside and Pioneer Park. I'm, I'm curious what you think of that, and uh, and if that's something or a road we want to go down. What does that mean for the outdoor ice rink idea? What does it mean for this? Uh, I know it's in its infancy, but this idea perhaps of putting a public market in that parking lot uh, in the Riverside Park area there. Yeah, my sense of this is that that's certainly where this comes from, is the opposition to a public market in that particular location. It's uh, really a question of uh, heritage recognition versus heritage designation, and I think we need more information from our staff about what those two terms actually mean. Uh, Riverside Park is an iconic park for the citizens of Camels, but beyond that, it's an iconic area for the to Kamloops to Shaquemek people. And so, you know, it's been around for a long time. Whether we have a plaque or whether we have a designation, we need to do some more research over. Okay, so yet to be decided. Uh, finishing off with this, uh, legal versus illegal secondary suites. We've talked about this issue before. Um, where are we on the scale of figuring this out? Because it's a bit of a complex issue. We do have a number of illegal suites. Uh, some of them are quite dated. I understand that on a cost level, um, some people could be on the hook for uh, some significant costs, but you do want to bring them into the fold. Uh, so how are we figuring this out? Yeah, so Councillor Sinclair has really been the champion of this notion of, uh, you know, digging into this file a bit more. Uh, we have illegal suites in Kamloops, uh, and if you put the, uh, you know, bylaw people out there, you would really just exacerbate the uh, affordable housing situation, so you don't necessarily want to do that. But by the same token, you don't want people living at risk in places that have poor electrical connections and no fire protection and that kind of thing. So uh, we're looking at that and uh, there'll be a committee of the whole meeting coming up in the next couple of weeks to uh, dig deep into that and and look at it uh, the intrusion in neighborhoods is really something that we have to uh, talk to neighbors about uh, the parking issue always comes up and uh, now you know if you look at Kelowna I think they have uh 2,500 Airbnb listings there. We have about 150. So you can assume that if people have a, a, a secondary suite, it could be a rented secondary suite on a nightly basis. So how does that affect neighborhoods? Yeah. Is it a matter of incentives, Ken? Because uh, certainly these people are not going to come out of the woodwork generally on their own, because uh, why would they in a cost level alone? And conversely, I mean, you don't have an army of bylaw officers to go out there and start thumping on thousands of doors and rooting out these these people or these illegal suites. And nor do we want an army of bylaw officers. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think uh, we have to be reasonable right now. We've got kind of a, a, a fairly calm situation. There are certainly some neighborhood disputes that flare up from time to time that we adjudicate but you know we have to walk that line between uh, what is helping housing particularly student housing in this community and uh, what is people uh, trying to uh, accomplish in terms of uh, paying for their mortgages and affordability of homes and having a suite that's a revenue suite in your basement so those are all things that need to be factored into it and uh, we've done extensive consultation now and that report will be out uh, in the next couple of weeks as I say. 
Mr. Mayor, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. It is my pleasure. Thank you, Shane. <laughs> Kamloops Mayor Ken Christian. We'll take a quick break. On the other side, we'll touch base with Venture Kamloops. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local news now. Your opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Shane Woodford on RadioNL.com. Good morning. Welcome back to the Woodford Show. I'm swapping one tall guy for another tall guy this morning. <laughs> Venture Kamloops Executive Director Jim Anderson joining me. Good morning, Jim. How are you? Good morning. How are you? You're the, one of the rare guys that Ken Christian has to actually use his neck muscles to look up at. That's, That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, man. Uh, first off, you guys are busy uh, crafting, honing away your your 2018 annual report. Yep. Um, I don't. I guess you don't want to give away the I mean, feel free if you want to give away the bag, but uh, maybe give me a teaser. What's it looking like? What are some of the themes we're going to see in that thing. I think the, the the biggest thing that I see from the report is, and we're we're just about done. It'll it'll be finished here in the next few days. Is that um, the, the volume of of different businesses that we're we're starting to see in the the fourth quarter of, of 2018? We met with almost double the number of businesses that we've ever met with in the same reporting period in the previous year. Mm. Just. Um, Entrepreneurs and businesses that that are already in existence who are looking to expand are are really um, thinking this is a good time to do it here in Kamloops. That's kind of because I find Kamloops right now is a fascinating city, right? Yeah. Like it's really transitioning from what it was a decade or two ago uh, to now a city very much not just in name but in in feeling and in industry. We're moving away from one thing to the other. Uh, as you're talking these numbers of business, what do you see like trend wise? What's what's hot right now? What are people getting into that perhaps wasn't here before? It's a, you know it's across it's across all sectors. I, I yeah. have to say, um, a lot of retail. Yeah. Uh, a, a lot of retail people are people are seeing opportunity. I think there's a sense that the population is probably growing faster than projections um, yeah. initially indicated. I would agree. Um, I think you know there's a number of different indicators that that would suggest that's true, and I, I think that the just the the people who have an eye to entrepreneurship are realizing that yeah, I think that the time the time is a right to strike on, on a new business. Yeah. Oh. Um, are we doing what we should, or should we be doing something more to um, to make it easier for people to come here, to allow them to step into a business here? Are we being as welcoming as we could be, or are there things that we need to take advantage of that we're not? So there are a couple of different aspects to that. So from the, um, the perspective of are we welcoming, I, I would say, yeah, the... the the organizations and the services that we have in place here in Camus, you know, not not to toot my own horn first, but Venture Camus <laughs> is a pretty valuable resource yeah. for for business. Um, we have a very strong um, partnerships with Community Futures, um, with Open Door Group. We started a program with them last year that kind of uh, it's a cross referral program. So essentially, if you log on to any one of our websites, you're look you're looking at starting a business. You'll get directed to the right organization. Um, you'll get directed to the right people. You'll have everything you need from the people who know what's best. Um, we have all the all this infrastructure in place that will make it as as easy as possible for you to to do what you want to do. So the the other aspect is the is the bureaucratic aspect. You know mm. the the, the um, red tape, legislative, the regulatory, all those kinds of things. Yeah, that's tougher to move on. Um, 
is it a perfect world? I'd say no. Um, but the one thing that I would say, going back to those organizations I just mentioned, we all have been through it before. We've seen people go through it before. We can help you mm. with the wording of applications, with um, w- the the types of things that you're 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 doing with your, you know, if you have a new location, what, what you need to do as far as your building. We have all that that previous history that if you just come and talk to us, we, right. we can we can help guide you through it and make it as easy as possible because as you know as well as I do, those those regulations, they don't change very quickly. <laughs> no, they you know, And they don't. can be they can be tough. Yeah. They can be tough, especially if you're all you want to do is open your business and do what you're passionate about. And then you have a third party who's saying, well, go ahead and do that, but you need to do it this way. You need to do this. You need to do this. We can help you. We Mm -hmm. can help you do that. Okay. So we're welcoming, uh, maybe flip the question around. Are we being proactive enough in um, broadcasting ourselves and saying, hey, especially to, you know, because we're seeing a lot of families, my sense, uh, Mm -hmm. flooding up because they want uh, something resembling sane housing prices and et cetera. Kamloops is, is a very attractive city still for that. So uh, are we doing what we can to broadcast Kamloops as a business-friendly location, perhaps to some areas of the coast to say, hey, listen, you know, you're tired of paying sky-high lease rates or whatever the deal is down there, you know, come on over. So for the past almost 30 months now, we've been concentrating on um, highlighting exactly what you just said, the affordability of housing, because Mm -hmm. that's the primary expenditure in a household. Yeah. Um, We've been um, monthly down to Vancouver, uh, presenting venture Kamloops uh, and what we can offer to business relocations, but also presenting Kamloops as a place to live. Um, we we started uh, last year on our website uh, a real estate map, which shows um, all of the, the homes that have changed hands in Kamloops, how much they sold for, what they were originally listed for, all the information about housing so that people can get a really true sense. It's one thing to look through listings, but that doesn't tell you how much houses are really selling for. Yeah, exactly. But if you can see up-to-date historical data on how much places cost, um, you can get a really true sense of how much cheaper it is to live in Kamloops than it, than it is in Vancouver. And we're hammering away at that message. And the Kamloops area... Um, Real Estate Association is doing some really tremendous work in gathering data on where people are coming from um, and what kind of houses they're buying. So we're getting a really sense of how we can target our message to the people. And we can say to them, you know, okay, you live in the lower mainland. Let's yeah. say, yeah. well, we happen to know that people just like you are moving to Kamloops because of these reasons. Exactly. Because they're, they're able to buy a house that's twice as big for half the price or whatever those numbers happen to be. Yeah. But we're getting that data so that we can go ahead and, and, and provide a factual, um, compelling message rather than just this sort of anecdotal, well, I, you know, I know quite a few people who've moved up from the coast. Well, right. that, that's that's not good enough for us to launch a campaign on yeah. or to, to sink a lot of resources in or to convince people. But now that we have data, we can go and say, we know for a fact that people who, who used to live in the same postal code as you now live in Kamloops, and here's why. Yeah. yeah. Um, in that note, I mean, we are attractive because our housing prices are are, are good, mm-hmm. uh, but they are creeping up. Is there a concern on your end that over the over the years we could kind of broach into that unaffordable, and then we're that whole reason to come to Kamloops is kind of sewered or no? Well, honestly, Shane, I think it depends on who you talk to. People may say that Kamloops is already unaffordable to buy a house I for mean, some, for sure, right. and affordable you know? depends on your personal definition exactly. Too, right? So I think that the 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 key there is the difference in price between our market and the markets that we go to. Right. I, I think that um, 
as long as that difference remains as, as great as it is, that I don't think that that will become an issue. Um, but yeah, the absolute affordability of a house is one thing, but the difference in affordability between our our market and other markets is, is the key. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, we're out of time, Jim, but thanks so much for taking us quick this morning. Yeah. All right, man. <laughs> Anytime. Uh, that's Executive Director of Venture Kamloops, uh, Jim Anderson. We'll take a quick break. On the other side, we'll talk ride sharing with Kamloops North MLA. Peter Millibar. Radio NL, 610 AM and RadioNL.com. You're listening to Shane Woodford on Radio NL, 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Good morning. Welcome back to the Woodford Show. Thank you for tuning in. An all-party legislative committee yesterday tabling its final recommendations on the ride-sharing front. Uh, Eleven recommendations in all. Sounds like ten ago. One is not, as the very slow pace to getting Uber and Lyft and other companies like that into the province continues. Uh, one of the MLAs sitting on that all-party legislative committee was our own Kamloops North MLA, Peter Millibar. Welcome to the program, Mr. Millibar. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good to have you on. Okay, so Pete, uh, the all-party committee uh, recommended no boundaries, uh, supply caps, uh, minimum prices that don't undercut uh, transit, uh, and transparency in those prices so people know what it costs before they go. Uh, The contentious one is the Class 4 versus Class 5 license. The committee recommended a a standard Class 5 transportation minister. Claire Trevena took about an hour to come out and say that is an absolute no-go. It's got to be a Class 4 license, a little more expensive commercial license. Uh, You're taking on that? Well, it's very disappointing. And to be clear, uh, the minister hasn't actually endorsed the other 10 recommendations. Those ones she's essentially said she needs to take time to review and think about. And why that's significant is the only one that she's dismissed out of hand is the class four versus class five recommendation. Um, And she did that almost instantly. So why was it even part of our mandate? This was a mandate set out by her to look at specific four specific questions, one of which was class of driver's license. Uh, the committee met for months. We did a ton of research. We asked for follow-up information from ICBC around crash rates and, and those types of indicators before we made this recommendation. It wasn't made lightly. Um, and, and I really want to stress, when we say a class 5 license, we weren't saying a class 5 license without any other checks. They, people would still need to have uh, criminal record checks uh, their, their driving record would still be scrutinized to make sure that they were historically a safe driver. Um, and so for the minister to dismiss it out of hand, um, she's essentially said, and we've heard from Lyft already uh, yesterday, that they, they can't operate in this type of, of, of regime. People that are part-time drivers are not going to invest that type of money into a Class 4 license. Uh, women, particularly in jurisdictions that require a Class 4 license, um, are, are only about 5% of the drivers, way below the industry average. And uh, it's, it's very troubling that uh, the minister would just slam the door on this to essentially say, um, you know, no to to the companies, the likes of an Uber or Lyft uh, operating in BC. The argument that she used, uh, Peter, was that uh, it's for safety. Uh, class 4 license provides more safety. She was pressed by reporters in the scrum of the legislature to back that up with something she could not. Uh, with, the, with the work that the committee did, can you shed some light? Is a Class 4 indeed more safe than a Class 5 when it comes to ride sharing? We, we had those discussions and we had those concerns. Uh, as a committee, we asked ICBC for further information. They provided that further data around crash rates and, and, and the like uh, between a Class 4 and a Class 5. Um, you know, there's no, there's no 
a significant difference in, in public safety between the two. What we did find out, though, that the wait times for people to get their medical checks um, is, is months and months and months. There's a cost to that. Uh, so the, the biggest difference between Class 4 and Class 5, especially because we're still saying that you need to have the criminal record checks and those things, is a medical. Well, what the minister is saying is that, that she would prefer to clog up the medical system even further with people needing to try to get in and see a doctor to get a medical paper signed off on that they can go out and drive. It doesn't mean their medical condition might not change two months later. They, there's no requirement for them to follow up on that anyways. So it, it, it just doesn't stand up to scrutiny. Uh, it was a complete waste of time for the, the committee to even bother looking at the, the difference between Class 4 and 5 if the minister was going to dismiss it this quickly out of hand. It means that you will not see ride uh, hailing companies like an Uber or lifting camels with these types of rules in place. And uh, and the minister needs to, to come clean on the fact that they're, they're delaying. This was basically another six-month delay getting this committee to look at this work. And they can hang their hat on Cater all they want. Last I checked, Cater's not planning on operating in Kamloops. It's not planning on operating in Kelowna or Prince George. Um, they have done absolutely nothing to help move this along. Why the why the class four from the minister's side? I mean, if she is going to ignore the work of the committee and can't back it up on safety, I mean, what is the reason? Why draw a hard line on class four in your mind? Well, frankly, she's drawing a hard line on this because that is what will actually block uh, companies the likes of an Uber and a Lyft actually operating in, in British Columbia. I've heard people say, well, taxi drivers have a class four already. They may just switch over and drive Uber and Lyft, and that would be wonderful if they do or if they want to stay driving for a taxi. We need both. We need both in the transportation spectrum for people to choose from. But if drivers just switch from one company to the other, we have not added any more cars to the road. When you look at the Passenger Transportation Board and how long it's taken them to try to approve 500 licenses for this province, uh, it's been almost two years now, and we still don't actually see them on the road. And Cater is supposed to be 140 of those. So for the minister to say that we're still going to have uh, ride-hailing in this year, for the premier to say that, when their own backbench members of this committee agreed, and you will notice that there's a, re- uh, a recommendation that under legislation there's supposed to be a review of how ride-hailing is uh, working in 2022, the committee agreed that because there will not be any substantive uh, meaningful ride-hailing in this year, that would be too quick of a turnaround to try to see uh, how things are working. And that's why we recommended that review should actually take place in 2023. That was a unanimous uh, decision by the committee recognizing that there will not be ride hailing in BC in 2019. And here we have the Premier and, and the Transportation Minister uh, still trying to insist it's going to happen. It's absolutely ridiculous. And here is Premier John Horgan, just so we're clear. I am absolutely confident that ride hailing will be here in 2019. And uh, you're, you're sticking to your guns. That is no way that that is going to happen. Well, look, they, they've delayed by six months by, by making this committee do work that they have no intention of listening to. They, uh, and now, now they'll start working again. They still need to instruct the Passenger Transportation Board how to come up with their regulations to actually process uh, the paperwork. They then need to receive paperwork. If you go to apply for a Class 4 license, it's upwards of four months four to five months to go through that process. So you explain to me how anyone that requires a Class 4 license is going to be licensed in driving in this province 
before 2020 if they're not currently in the taxi industry, which again is fine if people want to choose how they want to be employed. But that means that we haven't added any extra transportation to the, the transportation network. It means people are still going to be sitting around waiting for, for a ride home around Christmas and New Year's parties. It means that the interior of BC is not going to see any substantive uh, ride-hailing for sure. And, and the lower mainland is going to try to hang their hat on, the, on this Cater app. Uh, which is wonderful to see a taxi uh, company trying to do this, uh, but it's not ride hailing, and uh, it, it's not province wide. Yeah, um, you said you've heard from Lyft. They don't sound very happy about this. Uh, have has the committee, or have you heard from Uber yet, or no? Well, well, we heard from them at the committee stage as well. And this is the amazing thing. The committee was the exact same committee that met a year previously. Um, we did the exact same work. We came up with very similar recommendations that the government ignored once before. Uh, we came up with 11 recommendations this time based on the four questions uh, the minister wanted answered to. She has said that she will take under advisement the other 10. And, and the one that she dismisses out of hand, uh, minutes after she stands up in the legislature yesterday in question period and says she hasn't read the report, she minutes later she's in the hallway saying that she's outright dismissing uh, the very last recommendation, which is the difference between Class 4 or Class 5, without actually digging into any of the detail as to how we came to that recommendation. Um, it, it is beyond laughable um, the lengths that this government is going to to delay this. Um, it does not hold up to scrutiny, and uh, there is absolutely no way. The Premier originally promised this in 2017. Then the Premier promised this in 2018. He's now promising in 2019, and his own NDP members on his committee have, have admitted, uh, by way of our recommendation, that the follow-up uh, uh, review happened in 2023 instead of 2022, that it's not actually going to happen this year. Mm. It's time for this government to come clean on this stuff and stop trying to uh, pretend that they're trying to bring in uh, the Uber and ride-hailing and lift ride-hailing companies of the world out there, and there's other ones out there, um, when they're in actual fact, they're not. They're, they're trying to pretend, and it's nothing but a charade. Uh, we only got a couple minutes left here, Peter, but I do want to toss this at you while I've got you. Uh, city Council meeting yesterday, Michael Riley tabled a motion. He wants to uh, basically press pause on the land title office, moving its records from Kamloops uh, to Victoria. Uh, now, I did talk to the Registrar of Lands, who essentially says, listen, this is not Council's jurisdiction. We can do what we want to do. But uh, from your perspective, does there need to be dialogue with, with, uh, with all the people involved, whether it's the Town Council, whether it's uh, the Kamloops Indian Band, uh, all the stuff or no? There absolutely has to be. This is a bureaucracy run amok. Um, you know, the, the Land Title uh, Commission is not a law unto themselves. Um, they don't just get to unilaterally make these types of decisions. And frankly, um, you know, they, they made uh, this uh, decision with, with scant information to the public. If it's such a justifiable move, uh, one would have hoped that they would have been much more forthright in this. The games that are being played by saying, oh, no, we're just looking for other office space, and it, and it was like pulling teeth to get them to acknowledge that, oh, by the way, while we're looking for office space, we're only looking for a third of it because uh, we're actually moving all the documents out of the city that people actually need to do their work. Um, and so, you know, there, there 
there's a lot to this. Uh, it's amazing what we keep finding as we keep scratching a little bit harder and harder. I'm glad to see Council next week will be considering um, uh, sending a letter as well. Uh, the land titles don't have to like it. They don't have to answer if they don't want to answer it. But I think it, it speaks to an arrogance uh, uh, within the, the Ministry of, of Forest Lands and Natural Resource Development and land titles that they're being so dismissive about legitimate uh, community-wide concerns on something like uh, land titles. This isn't just about the jobs. It's also about uh, the fact that this office services a quarter of the geographical area of this province. And uh, this change has been made with absolutely zero thought um, and zero consultation with anyone. Peter, always a pleasure. Thanks for taking some time. Great, thank you. There we go. That's Calvin's North MLA, Peter Millibar, discussing his frustrations on the ride-sharing front, uh, as well as with the Land Titles Office. And we're going to dive right back into that issue with Councillor Michael Riley right after this. Radio NL, RadioNL.com, local news now. Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Shane Woodford on 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Good morning and welcome back to the Woodford Show. Pleasure to be joined on the program this morning by Councillor Mike O'Reilly. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Good, Shane. How about yourself? I'm all right. Uh, are you wearing shorts? Always. <laughs> Never mind. I keep telling you that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Uh, you passed uh, You passed a motion in, in council last night, or tabled a motion, I should say, uh, basically addressing this land titles office issue. They're going to do some downsizing. They're clearing out the records. going to be sent to Victoria to be digitized. Uh, at the base of this uh, motion aside, what's your base concern here, Mike? What, what inspired you to table the motion in the first place? Uh, the first and, and biggest thing is the loss of jobs in Kamloops. Um, and, and not so much on the government side because the government people will be re- relocated when they downsize their, their office. Uh, I believe it's about 66% downsize, uh, but the, the amount of jobs for the government side will stay the same. What is going to be lost is private sector jobs and private businesses um, that, that will suffer and be hurt and, and uh, end up having to uh, leave town or find other work. And, uh, and that's why I brought this forward. I will uh, always fight for jobs. When you say, because uh, I've, I've talked to the government on this, and they say no jobs will be lost. So can you explain where the job losses are coming from? Right. The, the, the job losses are for the agents that actually do the research uh, in, in and amongst the documents that are there. Uh, so it's about 10,000 square feet uh, of documents that are there. Um, the documents um, in Kamloops are everything from the Alberta border and the Kootenays through to Kamloops. Um, and research is done for uh, legal and real estate uh, firms as well. Um, you know, there are countless, and, and these are the jobs that aren't, can't be counted, but the actual uh, research projects that are being done that people come to Camelos just to do a research project and go back. But uh, 12 permanent um, uh, private sector jobs will be gone because of this. All right, so you've tabled the motion. What, in essence, does the motion seek to achieve? Yeah, you know, we're, we're just asking for an immediate moratorium on the uh, moving of the documents from Camelos to Victoria um, until such time that, uh, that the mayor or councillor um, is able to meet with the CEO of Land Titles and the mayor or councillor can meet with um, Honourable Doug Donaldson, and he's the Minister of Forests, who's that minister is in, kind of in charge of land titles, as well as uh, the First Nations have been consulted that uh, have documents um, in there. And again, that's from the uh, border in Alberta and the Kootenai 
used to cantaloupes. Now, um, I was curious about this, and just uh, just that as a as a as a coincidence, the land registrar called me yesterday after you tabled your motion, and I was asking him um, what jurisdiction or what Muscle City Council has here. Could you guys effectively put a stop to it or press pause on it? And he says there's there's none. They're free to do what they want, despite what City Council does or does not do. Your response to that? Well, I mean, that can be said with a lot of things. Uh, that could have been said with Ajax as well. Camels didn't have a say. City Council had no say in that. However, we have an opportunity to put our voice forward and, and have our voice and concern heard before this is done, and that's what we're asking for. Um, and, you know, whether, whether we're able to, to make that happen. But, you know, whether, whether it's two private sector jobs or 200 private sector jobs, um, myself and this council will fight for jobs in Kamloops. Um, and, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, what political flags are flying in Victoria or what political flags are flying in Ottawa. We will always fight for jobs in Kamloops. And, uh, and the, this is a kind of a, a big thing for this council, and that's going to be coming forward in the strategic plan coming up that will be released in the next few weeks. Is, is anywhere in the concern, because in a very real way, uh, all of those records, and there's a ton of them, encumbering a huge area, as you mentioned, but in a very real way, those records represent the history of the region in a lot of different uh, sort of angles and faucets. Um, is, is there a concern there that, that suddenly these records, this local history is being taken out of the local area? And, and you know, I know they mean well and they're going to digitize and all that, but it's not uh, it's not unusual for records to, to drop off or disappear en route when they're being moved. Yeah, you know, and, and when the Prince George uh, Land Titles Office relocated the documents to Victoria, there were documents that were lost um, and never to be found again. Um, and, you know, when you talk about the, the knowledge that these people have, like the agents that have been doing the research for, for decades here, that will be lost as well. I mean, I, that's not on the notice of motion because you can't really uh, put a number on that specifically, but that is the knowledge of these people will be gone, and that's, I mean, that would be very disappointing. Um, but, you know, the fact of losing documents, and you know, in, it was eight years ago, there was just over a million dollars spent uh, at the Camus location for climatic upgrades. Um, you know, so it's not like it's, it's a very outdated space. It, it, it's been upgraded and it's a safe space. And if you look at seismic stability in Camels versus Victoria, where to keep um, important historical uh, records, Camels is probably a little bit safer of a place. Yeah. Uh, any idea how council will receive this yet, Mike? I know you just tabled it yesterday. I don't know if you've had a chance to kind of test the waters uh, behind the scenes yet or not. You know, I think, again, going back to when the strategic plan gets put forward is, is we will be fighting for jobs. Private or government, two or 200, we will be fighting for jobs. And, uh, and this is just one real-world first-time example for us to do that uh, with this council. Okay, assuming the motion gets passed, how do you proceed? Do you fire a letter off to, to all the people you mentioned, Doug Donaldson, the land registrar, et cetera, or how does it work? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that, that will happen, again, if it passes, right? It, it, it's up to the will of council, but uh, I feel strongly. Again, it's, uh, you know, 12 good-paying jobs that will be gone and, uh, and countless other ones that we can't actually put a number on. Um, and, uh, again, whether it's two or 200, we will fight for jobs in countless. Yeah, what was the sort of, what was the sense when this story first hit the, the local news, uh, news stations that, uh, okay, we have this concern. It was originally raised by uh, Peter Millibar and Todd Stone, um, you know, from your yourself and others in the community that you've talked to, what was the general sort of feeling in the first initial uh, hearing of the story? 
Yeah, well, you know, I was uh, I, I hadn't even heard the story um, that was done in local media, um, but I was approached by uh, private business owners and, and lawyers in town saying this is what's happening. So I looked into it and I said, you know, it's just the, you know, they're just downsizing a bit. They're keeping the same amount of jobs. And then they started to inform me of all of the actual private sector jobs that rely on those documents being here. Um, and, and, you know, that's when you just kind of start looking at things a little bit deeper and it's more than just what's on the surface, I guess. And, and again, you know, it, it wasn't wrong for them to say they're not downsizing any government jobs in Kamloops. That, that's correct. They're, they're going to be keeping that. Um, but it's the private sector jobs that rely specifically on those documents um, that will be gone. To be devil's advocate here, uh, you know, we, we've seen a, an evolution of technology. Uh, perhaps you could make a good argument that we need to move the records to get them to some place where we can digitize them and, and get them onto a hard drive somewhere, considering, you know, all the computer stuff we use now. And maybe that's a good thing. Yeah, so I guess my question to that would be, why not do it in Kamloops? <laughs> I mean, we, we look at one of the most earthquake-prone um, parts of all of British Columbia would be specifically Victoria. <laughs> yeah. They're moving the documents to or, or attempting to. Yeah, fair enough. Before I let you go, uh, any news on the downtown strategic plan as far as when we're going to see it and the Performing Arts Centre incorporated into that, of course? Um, I believe the downtown uh, center plan comes out in June, um, comes to council, um, and then uh, strategic plan. I, I hope we're hoping to get it out in the next few weeks, um, and uh, I would expect you'll see a performing arts center as being a part of that, or or a form of a performing arts center in one shape or another. And that's when you sort of anticipate the debate over how that will look like and, and how that will be paid for. Will then resume or resume that will we'll begin in earnest. Yeah, that will start. Yeah. And, and how that's going to shape up, like you said, how it's going to be paid for, funded, uh, what it's going to look like. There's other user groups that are asking for different space or different things as part of it. And, you know, that's all going to be taken into consideration. Perfect. Uh, Mike, always a pleasure. Thanks for taking some time this morning. Perfect. Thanks for watching. That was Councillor Michael Riley diving into his concerns around the land titles office. And that brings to an end this edition of the Woodford Show. Uh, there's no show tomorrow due to Radiothon. And we'll see you again on Friday. The name of the show changes Inside Politics coming your way day after tomorrow. 1400 Clearwater, 107.1 Shuswap from CHNL in Kamloops, a Stingray radio station. This is Radio NL 610 AM, local news now.